Some of you may find yourself dealing with turkey-induced hangovers or fighting back road rage in Black Friday holiday traffic today. But before you crank up Mariah's All I Want for Christmas, spend some time with us as we talk about Netflix series The Chair. We're joined by a resident academic, Dr. Ginger, to discuss the binge-worthy show. The Chair star Sandra Oh as Dr. Ji Yun Kim who must navigate her new role as the first woman to be the academic chair of the English department at Pembroke University. Go grab a glass of coquito, slip into something comfy, and join us for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. My name is Danny, And I'm Veronica. And today we are with Ginger. Welcome back. If you, don't yes. know Gin, if you don't know Ginger, a couple episodes back, you snooze, you lose. We brought her <laughs> back in because we are talking about... Um, something that is very close to her heart yeah we're discussing neck next net i can't say the word netflix netflix <laughs> we're just we're talking about the netflix special she watched the I, bootleg version <laughs> 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 we're watching the netflix special the chair um the season dropped i think i want to say back in september uh just to give you all the heads up we are going to be talking about this show from beginning to end we're going to talk about all the parts the ones we like the ones we hate it um, hated hated <laughs> uh but we uh are, are going to spoil this show so if you haven't seen it stop what you're doing go ahead and watch it and then come back and hear what we have to say but again we want to welcome ginger to the show she's been on our show talking about books and and the life of us here over in the united states getting it all wrong and we are so happy to have her back how are you doing today good thanks so much for having me back i love chatting with you too so this is this is exciting, especially the, the topic for today, the chair. <laughs> yes, very near and dear to my own experience. So love it. Because uh, for people who don't know, you know, Ginger used to be a college professor, still works in, in um, the academia. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> in higher education. Uh, and so when we watched the show, when Denny and I watched the show, you know, we're like, okay, we got to definitely do an episode on this. But I was like, we got to bring somebody on. Who do we know? Oh, Ginger. (laughs) So glad I came to mind. Yeah. I'm glad that you put up with our shenanigans. (laughs) I love shenanigans. And yours are are high quality shenanigans. So I'm totally down. 
Ooh, look at that. We're high quality shenanigans. Ooh. We have moved up in the world. We leveled up. The price went up. <laughs> the price went up. All right, so let's talk about the chair. The chair, as described by Netflix, is a major uni- at, at a major university. The first woman of color has become the chair and tries to meet the dizzying demands and high expectations of a failing English department. All right, so how about we start with Ginger, since we know all about our feelings, mm-hmm. since and this is you know. We, we start strong. We, we start with our guests. Ma'am. Um, the educated one. <laughs> Can you give us your, your I, I guess, your initial thoughts? Like, just from zero to 10, how would you rate it? Where are your feelings with it? Just an overview of the chair. Like, what are your initial thoughts when you think about this show? Um, well, it's funny because I've watched the series three times and the first time I kind of, I would say five, but then as I watched it the second time and third time, I liked it more because, so I, I put it at like an eight or nine. I really like it. I think um, I'm just so annoyed in the first time, especially I was extremely annoyed by the suffocating whiteness of the show and just how the whole plot is um so it's focused on this mediocre white man who can't get it together he creates this like tornado of destruction he's ruining others along the way and i hated it so much because of that but i really liked everything else the second time i watched it though i was like this is like real life like, this is what happens is that you have this fucking dude that doesn't deserve to get all these breaks, who really needs to just get his shit together and can't seem to do it, even though people are trying to show him how to and really being supportive of him. And he's just like floundering and bringing everybody down with him. And I'm like, well, this is pretty much what happens. So I... I hated it for the reality, I guess you could say. Um, But on the second and third watch, I liked it even more. I also really liked the way that they infused humor into the whole situation. Um, It's kind of like slapsticky and like a little bit nerdy and different in a way that I appreciated. Um, But there's a lot of other pieces of the show. And so that's my initial take. What, What did you all think about it? Well, before we get into the take, because I, I just want to say something that we didn't mention earlier, which is that the, the show stars uh, Sandra Oh, mm-hmm. and she plays, the main character is uh, Ji Yoon Kim, and she is uh, of Korean descent in the show, and of, of course, in real life, um, who has taken over being the chair for the English department. And normally, when we do shows, episodes like this, we call them Tiny Bites, if it's a television show, um, it is in hopes that it has been written by a person of color that is, or starring a person of color that's usually based on a book. Um, I think this is probably the first thing that we've decided that we were going to watch only simply because Sandra was the main lead character in this show. Um, so I think to answer your question about the initial thoughts, I think going in with that understanding, 
shows the frustration and I think you hit it dead on the head in regards to the whiteness that surrounded this episode because it is written by two white women. Um, so, you know, there were things that is frustrating, but also it's very true and they wrote it exactly like how it happens. And so the expectation of them to be able to do more than expected it can't be possible because they're writing it from their own perspective. Yes. What are, what are you, what about you? How do you feel, Denny, about? I had high hopes for it. Maybe I need to watch it like ginger like three times because I watched it like once and I was like, I I don't need to watch this show anymore. <laughs> because I think I as an Asian woman, I was like, I was very off. Like, not really offended, but I was like, you can do more. Like, I was just rooting for her so, so much. And I'm like, I want you to do more. I want you to be more. But I think what Ginger made me realize it's it's because how it is in reality. That's why I hated it. Mm. Because it's it's like, I'm living my life through the television. Like, you're seeing, like, yourself. So, of course, you hate it. But then... I wanted, I, I just wanted there to be a glimmer of hope. I'm like, oh, look, she did it. Maybe we can do it too. Or maybe, you know, just the spe- for the specific purpose of like having a person of color triumph in a certain way and not always just be like kind of the feeling of like, you're okay to get by because you feel like it's just like the right thing to do all the time. So I just didn't want that to be like a, a passive choice again for that Asian woman. I, I, even, I, I even though, you know, the, the show kind of ends like in a lighthearted mood, I didn't mind if it was like a more like sad and depressing ending if she comes out like stronger, mm. if that makes sense. It makes sense, but I think because the show initially is a comedy, yes, it would it had then to waver from what yeah. it was that they were doing from all the way from the beginning to the end. Um, I did find that it was quite ironic that when this episode aired was right around the time where um, Nicole Hannah Jones, who was a professor at UNC, um, she was up for tenure and initially was denied mm-hmm. tenure. And so I, I thought that it was a, it was like, <laughs> how did they know that this was going to happen in regards to one of the characters whose name is uh, Yas McKay in the show? Uh, she is an English professor, a Black English professor who is up for tenure. And there's a whole situation that, um, involves her and another professor who um, I think his name is Elliot, uh, who's played by Bob Balaban, um, who is basically, I guess, the head person who decides whether they're going to go ahead with her uh, getting tenure at the school. Um, But let's go back to our main character. So we have have Ji Yoon. (laughs) who has you know taken over as being the chair and she's having to deal with a group of older professors who she is told by the dean of the school um to get rid of that they that she needs to just name three people and i think he's fixed that number because he (laughs) knows like 
these are the oldest ones. These are the ones who aren't doing what he felt like they should be doing. And the highest paid. And the highest paid with the fewest number of students. So let me ask you, Ginger, like, is, can you tell us, I, I've seen it on Twitter. I just want to hear it from your mouth. Is this something that is typical within the higher education system where you have <laughs> people who are older, sometimes <clears throat> white, who <sighs> might have lower you know, class numbers, but are getting paid a lot of money to do. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so Denny, when you were like, oh, I wanted her to try them. I think that's why I like this show because it was so realistic. <laughs> and I don't like like a nice, neat, happy ending just for the sake of like tying up like everything with a nice, neat bow. It is so realistic in so many ways. Um, in my experience that now there, I can name a few things that I'm like, oh no, that's that's not realistic. That's too much or whatever. But um, I've taught at two liberal arts, like small liberal arts schools, which remind me a lot of the Imagine Pembroke in this show. And they were so white, like white. <laughs> like I couldn't believe, like when I would go to like, um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion meetings or um, uh, receptions for faculty of color. It, there were so few people. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is real. Like what I, what I see is actually real because there are so few people here. So um, I think they get that pretty dead on. And then I also want to uh, mention when you said Nicole Hannah-Jones, um, the AAUP, which is the uh, American Association of University Professors, uh, did some federal data and found that although Black people make about 13.4% of the U.S. population, they account for about 5% of um, facu uh, faculty at uh, universities and colleges. And this is as of fall 2018. Um, but Black women make up a little more than 2% um, of tenured professors. Um, and so when we're talking specifically about Black women, um, it's a very small percentage of folks who are tenured. And I will say the 5% the is tenured Black professors. Um, there are a whole bunch of faculty that they didn't even talk about here that are adjunct or contingent faculty, which I held those positions where it's just a one-year position. You're not on tenure track and you're not going to get tenured because you're not on tenure track. So there's a, a lot of other pieces of um, university life that isn't covered, but the age gap is real, like so strong. I mean, the places I worked um, and, and even where I see it like now, where I am now in higher ed, the age gap is, is real. And I don't have actual numbers on um, or, or data in front of me about that, but uh, there are a lot of folks who are just near retirement. And I wonder if the pandemic changed some of that. And like, because you had to teach all your classes online for a year, basically, like if that kind of pushed people out or encouraged people to retire. I know at our school over the pandemic, we had a, a voluntary separation package that you could take. So you could basically retire early, no matter where you were in your career um, and get paid out for some of your time. And um, yeah, there's definitely a prominent age gap. I, I felt like the only 
among maybe a handful of young single uh, professors when I was teaching myself. I remember on, on Twitter, I guess when everybody was watching it and there's one author who's also a college professor and she's like, I just zoomed in. Like I paused that section where he's like showing her the list of the names and it has their, you know, how much they're getting paid. And she just zoomed in on that. Cause at first I was like, is this a real thing? At that point, I didn't know anything about this television show. And so I, I was like, oh, is that someone, you know, like actual amount that they're getting paid? So, and then I realized it was a TV show, but she was talking about the realness of seeing, and I guess the trigger feeling, feeling that she was getting from looking at that piece of paper and knowing like how hard people have to work. And I, I you know, often hear people who might be like adjunct professors and talk about how much they're not getting paid and it's really hard for them to you know make a make a good wage of you know doing all of this heavy casework and Ji-Yoon's uh character or Ji-Yoon um in the show talks about that when referring to her previous relationship and saying that they were going to bring them on I guess together like a spousal like part of the contract but they, they call it a trailing spouse in some places too, which is I didn't, like- I never heard of this. Like, so does that mean that they're allowing both of these people to come and teach on campus at the same, together? Um, well, it's, the spousal hire is like, oh, we really want you. And they're like, oh, but what about my spouse? And they're like, uh, well, let's see if we can make a position for them or if there's a position already open around campus that we can like advocate for them to, to hire your spouse. Um, but a spousal hire is kind of like, it's frowned upon by a lot of folks because it's looked at as like not actually earning your position. It's like your spouse earned it and then they need this for you because of them. And yeah, that's why sometimes they call it like the trailing spouse. And I feel like that's kind of <laughs> derogatory in a way. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a thing. I do have to say that this show is like, it is definitely multi-layered. Just in regards to the three professors who the dean kind of like, you know, wants to get rid of. Mm-hmm. There is this subject of, you know, is this ages Because you have three professors who know their subject very well um is it an ageist thing or is it that they felt like they weren't doing what they should be doing or performing at the status that they want them to 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 be and clearly you know we saw from um what's his name character Elliot's character who had to be paired up with Yaz that uh he obviously wasn't pulling in the numbers um, but it, that was something that we weren't necessarily getting from the other two professors. We, we didn't know. We just saw one that was sleeping and farting all the time. And then the other one who was being moved uh, to the workout area for her office. Under the gym. Yeah. Also, I love yeah. that some of them staring at the, the guys working out because that totally wouldn't be me. Like, I 
can't relate at all to this. <laughs> but yeah, so actually, um, real quick, I do have some numbers here from the Inside Higher Ed publication. Um, they published this last year, 2020. The median age of the US labor force is 42 years versus 49 years old for tenure track professors. So it is higher. It does skew to be aged higher um, for tenure track faculty. And then compared to the general working population, significantly more faculty members are age 55 or older. It's 37% in academia, whereas in the general working population, 23% are 55 or older. So quite a large difference, 15, um, almost 15% difference there. And then um, women and minorities are underrepresented among professors, particularly those that are more senior. Women make up just 25% of tenure track faculty members old, older than 55, while racial minorities are just 16% over 55. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so the faculty in general are much older than the regular working population. Um, so the crisis in higher ed is generally that you need butts in seats. It's um, in order to fund everything that goes on because we used to have uh, like in the seventies, for example, we still had uh, public funding going into universities and colleges. And basically what had happened was once we started integrating um, higher ed, the government stopped funding it <laughs> at the same rate. So now the money comes mostly from the individuals. And this is why we see so much student debt because people take out loans and we have a whole industry around student loans. And um, now, I mean, higher ed is going to collapse onto itself, but also the student loan or student debt crisis that we have now is affecting our economy and the population of the United States because people are um, trying to have kids later if they're going to have them they're not buying houses at the same rate and at the same age as they used to and so that all is affected by the amount of debt that folks are carrying later and later into their lives which they didn't have to before because uh, college and higher ed was not nearly as expensive as it is now it's ridiculous it's ridiculous now it's like Fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year for a lot of schools. Like, I mean, no one can afford this kind of thing. Like, this is, and and those who can, I mean, do you really need an education? <laughs> you have that much money. I mean, I don't know. So anyway, um, yeah, the the issue that they're facing at Pembroke is like we don't have a lot of money coming into the English department because people aren't majoring in English anymore. Because if you take on all this student debt, you need a profession that's gonna pay for all the debt and loans that you have. And a lot of folks don't see English or the social science. Well, I'll say the humanities, um, some of the social sciences, so I'm a sociologist. A lot of people don't see how that kind of undergraduate education is going to neatly fit you into a profession, whereas, a lot of schools are now moving toward a more professional um, uh, structure, leaning more towards professional degrees, like um, training you for law degrees or um, PT, OT, like things that you can easily say, I'm going to major in this and then I'm going to get a job that is this. I'm going to go to school for biology and nursing 
and then I'm going to be a nurse or I'm going to go to school for, you know, physical therapy to be a physical therapist. And I'm going to go be a physical therapist as opposed to these more like, let me teach you how to think. And like, let me um, teach you how to be a critical thinker through English or American lit, those kinds of classes that they're teaching at Pembroke in this um, department. So you have less butts and seats, as they say. And I have heard that so many times in faculty meetings and department meetings. Um, so yeah, it, it's an actual phrase that's used a lot. And um, you need those people to pay for everything. And if they're not there and you have low enrollments, then you have to start cut, cutting something. And so you might look to the faculty and try to force people to retire early. I literally was up at like three o'clock this morning. I could not go to sleep. And so I'm scrolling through Twitter and somebody, I tried to go back and find it. Somebody posted an article. I think it probably was maybe a couple of years old, but it was in the New York Times. And it talked about this small college who was dealing with a shortage of students and the president of the school just decided, let's just raise tuition. And that following year, they had like, I think it was something like maybe 2000 applicants that more than they have ever had to apply to the school. And they found out that the reason why their numbers went up is because people equate going to school, if you have to pay a lot of money to go to school, then the school education must be great. And so that makes you think about like places like Harvard and Yale and Princeton and so mm. on. It's like the level of education, how different is it? Because everybody's mm. teaching literally the same thing all over the country. Is it really the teachers that you have teaching it? Or is it just because we're making tuition cost, you know, almost close to a hundred grand a year for you to be able to say that you went here? What, what does it, what does it truly mean? So I, I thought that was like, oh, we're just having to talk about this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, it's like anything. It's like, if you buy a $5,000 couch, is it that much better than the $400 couch you could buy? I mean, you know, what is the quality, the difference in quality there? But with those schools like the Ivies, really what you're paying for is the network that you are able to tap into and any of the um, the things that all the resources that the school has while you're there. It's not just the people who you know and like the alumni you can reach out to, uh, but it's also like the, the people that you meet while you're there and the professors and ideas that you get um, uh, uh, what do you call it, that you become aware of or you're exposed to, like that is what becomes valuable. And then the name brand recognition, folks will like scoop you up. Um, people are more likely to hire you because of the name, like that's the idea. But I mean, there are a lot of people that are doing very interesting work at schools that don't have the endowment of Harvard or of Yale, um, but they're just, they don't have that name brand recognition behind them. So let's go back and talk about Bill. the show. 
Bill. I want to talk about Bill. What about you? What you want to say about Bill? Because I think he was the catalyst to all the problems of the world. No, he was just, he pushed me on the edge. (laughs) Not not even Ji Yoon, but me. (laughs) But I think it made for, you know, it made the story flow through. But, um, of course, in every story, there has to be, like, conflict. And mm-hmm. he was not only the conflict, but also, like, the love interest, which is also messy. It's It was very messy. So the problem started for her, not just because, you know, she has been handed this major, like, responsibility to run all these, like, old white people and corral them. And like, we have to make a department. (laughs) And then she wants to please everybody. And she wants to prove to everybody that she can do it. She has to prove to everybody that she has, you know, no, I guess, nepotism for one of the faculty, which is Bill. Mm -hmm. But clearly, they have history from like way, way back. And we learned that Bill's wife just died a year ago. And he's spiraling into this some. To this like person that nobody nobody recognizes anymore so she's trying to save everybody except i think herself at least for the for the beginning mm. but you know bill was accused of like being a nazi supporter and then that's where really sh- that's where, that's all, where the all- shit hits the fan yes and we talked about this earlier you know i'm very when I'm watching a television show, like plot really means a lot to me. And, you know, some people can dismiss some things while, you know, and it's not about like suspending your, you know, reality, reality for it's Cause this show is supposed to be based in reality. Right. And when we see that pivotal scene that just sparks the entire you know move, movement of the show where he does the high hitler uh, sign in the classroom and you see that he's being filmed by a student at what point did she say i need to take my camera out and film this discussion because he just comes into class and it's just like he's really not saying anything he's trying to pull himself together and he starts talking and then he does the sign. And I'm like, does she pull the phone out time he starts coming into the classroom? Because yo, some students are some students will film or they will record like audio. Um, so I didn't feel like that was unbelievable, especially if he's like so well like well known and everybody loves him so much. I can see why students might just like try to record the lecture, even though I think it's up to the professor. I don't know if there's actual policies around this, um, like blanket policies. I think it's professor to professor or school by school about video recording. I, I never wanted my students to video or audio record without my permission, but I mean, it's so easy to audio record too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm like, I want to know, like, what is the purpose of this whole plot point? Like, who is this for? Are they, what are they trying to say about cancel culture? I don't know exactly what the message is supposed to be or who is the intended audience is for this. But see, that's 
that's the problem right there. Because let's say, for instance, this student was filming this for you know, study purposes later, Mm. then that means that she has the entire conversation that is happening. Now, nobody goes back and says, well, what in the context is it that, you know, that he's doing this? Or maybe she just stopped filming at that point. I can can say that for the plot. Like if she stopped filming time, he threw up the, 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 the sign. Then, then then okay like she didn't follow through with what he was saying after but it felt like she was still recording him afterwards so i'm just kind of that's that's the whole thing with cancel culture right because they're always like oh it's taken out of context um whenever there's like uh, a movement to cancel somebody or people are up in arms about what some celebrity did like that's one of the first um, explanations, shall we say, for some of the behavior. But I think, did you think it was like overreacting? I, I do because his conversation continues. What happens though, is that we see him do what most people do, especially white people, especially white men who stand in their privilege, right. Who Mm. are just like, you know, I'm sorry if I made you feel like Mm -hmm. him not wanting to truly apologize is where he struggled at, right? Not really wanting to see like, you know, the students are hurt. Regardless of what the context may have been, all you have to simply say is, I'm sorry. And so it was his pride that kept him from, from doing it, right? And so then we're having to deal with all of his, yeah, all of his bullshit. I, but also oh, go ahead Danny. no i just also think like the like because he was like in the story he was not in his right mind they say because he was also like suffering through grief and loss and he was already in this like hole to begin with he can't see past beyond him himself so for him to be like empathetic towards to like the students that he was supposed to care for is quite impossible for his character and I think that's I don't know if that was the intended motive or you know are you trying to tell me that that's why that that why that's why this white man is behaving this way or because truly it's embedded on him like oh no like I have done nothing wrong Mm -hmm. like you are offended then maybe you have to change yourself for it (laughs) right so I'm just like I'm stuck in between I'm really I'm really kind of like I want to feel for you, but you've been grieving also for a year and you can't fix your shit. And also you're also teaching. You chose to do this at the same time. Like if you can't move on from what you're going through personally, then don't involve other people because those are lives that you're destroying. Just saying. Am I too mad? Back out. (laughs) The first time I watched it, I was also like, am I supposed to feel bad for Bill? Like I couldn't tell like what the intention of the writing was like who are we supposed to empathize with more and maybe it depends on on who's watching (laughs) so for me of course I was empathizing the most with Ji-Yoon um maybe you're supposed to empathize with her child the most I don't I don't know um but Bill also I I think yes it 
was a little blown out of proportion, but they also like Bill was supposed to follow protocol and um, everyone was telling him, we've got these HR or lawyers or whatever that are going to show you how to write an apology and make it public. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And so that was like one of his first mistakes after he was um, doing the uh, Hitler salute in class. He didn't follow that protocol so that they could quickly squash it. And then he's like, no, I want to do it my own terms and I'll do it face to face with the students. And then he didn't have an actual apology, like you said, but he also didn't recognize the consequences of his actions because they're like a student drew a swastika in the dining hall. What do you think about that? And he's like, oh shit uh and then he's like well um i'm not causing that you know like he didn't take that into account and that is also like you're saying veronica part of the problem of him just being um self-absorbed and as um unwilling to understand that his privilege and his position like shelters him from the consequences that the students are receiving or experiencing at the ground level basically as i as we're talking about this you know what comes to mind is a book that we read not too long ago called what's mine and yours and it dealt with a lot of of the characters within the book who had like who lived these very human lives and it makes you take a reflection on yourself of like all of the decisions and the things that you may have said and done to other people. And if someone was to were to just like film that particular section of when you were just having a bad moment and then take that and say, okay, this is who that person is. What does that really mean? And I guess that goes back to you questioning what this whole cancer culture conversation is about because we as as human beings have we all we all make mistakes we all try to figure out where we need to be at certain points and i think in regards to this particular character that even though we we understand that there's a magnifying glass on um him choosing to stand in that privilege I think it also is a mirror to ourselves of like, uh, as to like how we choose to say that past the judgment, do we, do we, how do we take it on? You know, like, what if we were in this situation, like you, you have these students who are, you know, going through this motion and I, it really is a testament to just like how language is used throughout this entire this entire series and, you know, things taken out of context or the conversation that they had and how it sparked the protest and how it even sparked um, disagreements within the, within the classrooms or not even disagreements, that's not the word I'm trying to say, the, um, the inability to have a dialogue, like a healthy dialogue within the classroom that Ji Yoon was having towards the end of the series where she's sitting and she's talking about the Audre Lorde quote with her students and they're not really wanting to participate and how all of that is spurred out of that moment. But it really, I think it really makes you look at like what all of those moments can be and, and the ripple effects of them and 
what does that say about just the human being in the in itself like do you have the opportunity to change and i we i don't know if there's going to be a season two and if there is a season two i'm wondering if we will be able to see um bill get to that place of you know him recognizing what he has done because he does not like he doesn't do it he doesn't do it at all yeah to me he was just like flat he stayed kind of like in one in one line the whole time there was no arcs to me he just became like more white Mm. and (laughs) that is a term so you know and even at the end he was like i'm suing them and i'm just kind of like okay that is your right but i'm just like the recognition of the fault even though it was not intended was still not there how do you feel, Ginger, about the relationship of her, um, I mean, her talking about a GU and um, Bill? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I think, well, I, I want to respond real quick to Veronica first, because mm-hmm. um, the Audrey Lord, when they're talking about it in the classroom, I felt like the students were really not recognizing the position that Ji Yoon is in as chair. And they were like, well, you're a faculty of color. Why aren't you supporting other faculty of color? And uh, we thought that you were doing that, but you don't seem to be doing that. And so they come and they say, um, if Yaz doesn't get tenure, then we're coming after you essentially. And um, in the classroom, they were like, well, you are upholding the master's house with your tools, basically. And I, I was like, I think it's a little unrealistic. Students don't come that hard. But then I'm like, well, maybe they do. I don't know. Uh, but to be a student in the classroom and speak that freely and directly to basically call your professor a hypocrite, I feel like that's pretty unusual, um, especially if you're a student of color. But I don't know. Uh, I, th- I felt like that was a little dramatized, but um, yeah, the the question about change and forgiveness in cancel culture, I think is interesting um, as well as kind of just Bill, given that he was grieving, like, do we empathize with him at all? Like, what if he does come out and apologize later? Are we forgiving him for his actions and his lack of recognition for his consequences I don't, I don't know I would love to see a season two though uh Denny to your question I I'm annoyed that they have a relationship but at the same time I'm like bruh I have so been there where it's like it looks very isolated I don't know how isolated it is it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere and Jiyun, her world is like her family and her work, her family and her work. So like, where else is she going to meet a love interest? Mm-hmm. And in, in her discussing with her child's therapist, <laughs> that was a funny scene. Um, she also is revealing how she got married at 36. And then they weren't able to be together because they had different career paths and they followed their career. And so then she goes to adopt and her child that she adopted hates her. And she's such an asshole. Like she's just such a fucking asshole. And I get, I'm like, oh my God. Like I feel it in my chest when she like says these mean things to Ji Yoon. Um, and, and I mean, the, the actress is just great. The little kid, but I'm just like, wow. 
I don't know how I would be able to cope if I was Jiyun without like uh, some intimate relationship, whether it's a best friend or like uh, a lover as she's taken Bill on. I mean, I don't know. It seems like pretty natural for that to happen mm -hmm. because they're in close proximity and there's not a lot else for her to reach out to or you know the uh the pickings are slim in, in <laughs> academia in general and if you are on an isolated campus like that like oof, um it can can be a little uh i'll use the word desperate if you will <laughs> <laughs> and that def definitely was a desperate situation because when you look back on it you're just like girl like you can do better you don't need to take on a project like if you want to do a project like learn a hobby like not be this person because this man literally is, has been grieving for his wife for an entire year she's a rebound girl exactly no, but they were together while his wife was dying it looks like but that's that we don't have the full story behind that that's why i need a season two because i want to know like it didn't feel like they were having an affair because she just was so hesitant to like even kiss him when they were trying to get the daughter from out of the car maybe not physical but maybe emotional. oh definitely emotional i'm sure you know like how they have that whole like work wife work husband bullshit like it definitely was was that but i don't know to the extent of like when he realized like oh i want to like you know possibly make this person my my new love interest mm -hmm. even after like just dropping your daughter off to 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 the to the airport to go to college and she's telling him to get his shit together and it's like okay you're still in all of this which is normal like you grieving isn't linear we mm -hmm. all know that so you know to have been probably married close to 18 plus years with someone it is going to be a lot to get over the death of that person um but for Ji Yoon who has not been in that situation you know you would hope that somebody would have a little bit more clarity to say like is this a good choice or not a not but that goes to show you the human condition, right? We're all out here fucking with the fuck boys <laughs> that don't yeah. be fucked with. Like, <laughs> I understand that life. Like, I've, oh, I've lived God. that life. I literally lived that life. So, like, I get it, but it's still one of those things that's just so tiring. It's so it exhausting to watch. Like, it I'm out. living it. I don't want to watch it type of deal. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's what it makes it also so like delicate because it's like, you know, they can take it and make it like very dramatic. They can easily do it, but they didn't. They kind of like held back on a lot of things because in real life, that's what you do. You just look at the stairs and like her eye says everything like Sandra O can like act mm -hmm. like you can you can ask that lady to do anything and she can do it. She can do comedy. She can do drama. Mm -hmm. And when she would be like feeling everything, like she feels it. You see the urgency, you see the fear, the love and like the desperation. Um, another thing about her is her being a mom to Juju. That's something that was really kind of like- Not clear. Not like she, she wanted it so bad, but I think she was not 
prepared for like what Juju would be like when she was gonna be, you know, her own person. And then like an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I think, think most parents are prepared for that. Backstory in that though, like, why? How did she get to be this asshole? Like, there's that moment where she's having the argument with her mom, and she says something about her not being her real mom, and she's like, "Did that girl say it to you again?" So there's like, there's a story there that I wish they could have like drawn out a little bit more. Um, but who knows? Maybe. They knew that they were leaving out these details that will probably be discussed in season two. But um, I mean, I felt like it was uh, like her daughter is just mad at her mom because there's this cultural um, mismatch and her daughter doesn't understand it. June has a hard time explaining it. And you can't really do. I mean, how much explaining can you do to a five year old about your interracial adoption? Like there's. And she doesn't seem to have any Mexican um, like friends or parents to talk to um, Juju. So it's, she feels like the kids at school might be like making fun of her for being Mexican and her mom or parents not really matching her cultural background or her racial identity. And so I feel like that is the point of tension and that's why juju has like all this resentment towards her which i totally understand if you know anything about my background but there's it seems like sandra oh her character jiyun doesn't have time and effort and energy to really spend with her child and like make that tension dissipate yeah. Even though she's like, we're going to Oaxaca this summer so that you can, because some of your relatives are from there. And like, she's trying, but it's not enough. And it's like, she does that everywhere. She's trying in her job. It's not enough. She's trying to help Bill. It's not enough. She's trying with her daughter. It's not enough. She's trying with her father. It's not enough. And I just feel like it's so emblematic of what women deal with. And in academia, it's a passion project. It's not like it's a career, but you're not paid anything for it. Like you're paid shit. You're not treated with respect in a lot of ways. And you're, it's, you're sacrificing so much for it. Whereas like a lot of industry jobs, you don't have to sacrifice that kind of thing where you have to move across the country or you have a very narrow chance to be placed in uh, the same place as your spouse. Like it's it just seems very realistic to me that she's really spread thin oh yeah she's spread thinner than peanut butter it (laughs) is it's it's definitely something to see her work through through all of that I also I think with Juju I really think not only is it like the cultural disconnect that they're having but also the simple fact that I think she really wants her mom to be a mom like she doesn't cook you know, it's just like Lunchables and you, yeah. she's pulling up, which one do you want? And she's just kind of like, uh, and then later on, you see when Bill opens the refrigerator, it's full of nothing but Lunchables and the child mm. doesn't eat eggs because she's never had an egg because <laughs> she doesn't cook. So, you know, clearly she wants somebody to do the, you know, to the mom. The, the yeah, but that's a problem too. Like, I mean, that's kind of how I grew up because I didn't, my dad wasn't a mom. And it's like, but what is a mom? 
because not all moms are what you are describing Veronica as a mom, right? And that's right. what she was talking about when she was saying that my mom did not want me to worry about learning how to cook. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't want me to be that motherly type. But now you have a child who wants you to fall in line with those gender roles that are being placed upon a mom because that's what she's seen at school. You know, you see her when they're going and she's dressed up for the Day of the Dead to go mm-hmm. and, you know, do her, I guess, like show and tell or whatever. And you see the child watching another child being walked in with both of her parents. So clearly there is something that she's like, you know, that's what I want. I don't want to go in with my grandfather. You know, like I want my mom to come with me. And now you have her mom telling her that she can't because now she got to go handle the problems of this dude. dude. You don't yeah. need to be fucking with. <laughs> uh, you know, like if she were just to cut Bill out, it probably would help so much, so much. <laughs> she would have more time to spend with Juju. <laughs> but the, yeah. The, the thing is too though like they made juju love bill so now you're kind of like stuck she's like the only person that this child would actually be nice to and follow directions and be open with because i think when bill was in the was in like i don't know limbo or in purgatory (laughs) he he was was, suspended (laughs) he was spending time with his child with which the child wanted so she's like finally somebody a person, an adult that wants me. Mm. So like she latches onto this guy so much. She doesn't even know what's happening in the background. She was just like, Bill's my hero. Mm-hmm. Like that here's destroy your mom's life. <laughs> yeah, but I do I do think like the domesticated part, um, like Bill filling in for that, like I'll make you eggs and um, I'll do your homework with you. That's like really key for her. But and so many parents you know, so many kids and so many parents are in the same situation where they've got to work and they can't go be with their kid at school in the morning because they're supposed to be at work. And so many kids are raised by their grandparents. Like this is not, she's not the only person out there that has this situation, but um, I think it's a problem that we um, conceptualize family as being like, a mom that does exactly this, a dad that does exactly this, and kids that are happy and have healthy relationships with both their mom and their dad, and they all live in the same house. Like, that's clearly not how a lot of families are shaped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know anybody whose family is shaped like that. Even the ones who, on outside, it looks like that, but then you find out it's other shit that's still in there. It's like, everybody's dealing with some kind of trauma <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Uh, but if you are you know listening and you come from a happy healthy home you know let us know leave it in the comments below we want to know <laughs> what's that like what, what is that what is that are you a millionaire are you like a ceo of something because that's what they <laughs> promised do you are you part of the one percent because i want to know i also want to know do you have fur on your vagina can I see it? <laughs> is this like any other part of your body? Oh my God. This I is. love that part <laughs> so much. I loved it. I loved it because I was kind of like, oh, this babysitter, she doesn't know, how, like, you know, who you dealing with. Mm-hmm. It almost was like she was afraid of the little girl. And I'm like, but. But that I thought was, it was like another comment on like these, um, 
I felt like the writers were trying to poke fun at how sensitive these kids are these days because she was like, the babysitter is like, oh, well, you know, I have boundaries and clearly this place does not have boundaries. And it was, I felt like that was a joke. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like most babysitters would be like, okay, I see you're going to be a handful. Mm. And just like roll with it as opposed to like, oh, I'm offended because I'm triggered, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, this little girl, this five-year-old child just triggered you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you guys think of Joan and the IT guy? Did you think that they were like liking each other? I was ready for them to make out. I'm like, when is this going to pop off? Season two. <laughs> <laughs> When she gets married and decides she doesn't want to be the chair anymore. She's like, I, I really want to see her get it. Like, um, not like all the details of her getting it, but you know, like there was that one point where she was like cuddling up to Bill and Bill goes, wait, are we going to do stuff? Like what's happening? <laughs> and then Joan was, I, it's like Joan was a flirt in her heyday is what you're getting. And then she's like, in cahoots with this IT guy. And I really wanted to see, you know, some shit pop off with them, but yeah, maybe too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that whole, like trying to figure out who was talking shit about you on what was rate my professor or whatever. Yeah. Was, that was, that was, that was a nice scene. And she went off when she found it. And I'm like, Chaucer. That is <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm like, man, I had a professor like that. We all had one. Her being moved to that room I have seen that happen to teachers Mm. just in the high school like I don't work Mm. in higher academia but in the high school realm I used to be a media clerk and we had two campuses so you had a main campus and you had the ninth grade campus I was on the ninth grade campus and we had a math teacher who was formerly the she was like the testing coordinator and I guess she decided that she no longer wanted to do that because testing had switched from paper and pencil and had gone to computer and it was just too overwhelming and um so she was like I don't want to do this anymore I want to go back in the classroom and she was a math teacher when she started and instead of giving her a classroom a typical classroom they had her, she moved from the main campus over to the ninth grade. So they already viewed the ninth grade campus as a place where the teachers went to die. But then they come over there and they realize like, oh, this actually is heaven. Oh, okay. Cause you know, we were nice to them on the, on the campus, but they put her in a small room in the library that was tucked way in the back they had her in there first and then eventually they gave her a classroom um because she was like I can't like be back here and then when it became an overcrowding issue they ended up moving a um a foreign language teacher into that same room and there was always a complaint of like you know this is not a it wasn't it wasn't meant to be a classroom that room was literally where we would charge the laptops that they were all used for testing so you had students sitting in this room that had plug outlets all over all around with all these this equipment sitting in there it wasn't a a room that was conducive to getting a good education but it was just kind of like they just threw you somewhere rather than like making the space 
and taking people who were in classrooms that didn't need to be, who didn't, who weren't teaching anything. Like you're holding the whole room up and you're not even doing anything. So it really goes to show like, there are people who are moving you around, putting you in difficult class, you know, classrooms, giving you difficult students because they just kind of want you to leave on your own and you're watching that all play out. I have a real problem when it comes to like older people getting like the short end of the stick in education, um, especially when you're talking about technology, because I had to help a lot of those people when they didn't know how to use the technology, but were really, really good teachers at, you know, with what, whatever subject it was. Um, I have a sore spot because I know eventually I'm going to be old person. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be seen as somebody that they just need to like put out to pasture. Mm -hmm. uh, so that part of the show, I like, I kind of understand where their anger is. Um, but as far as Yaz McKay, I really want to talk about her. Uh, we talked about earlier, and I touched on it a bit about the language that's used in this uh, show and the, 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 the way that it is used and the omission of words to get across a different story than what is actually being told. And um, there is a, a, a situation where Elliot is like making a copy of some paperwork in regards to Yaz and I guess her tenureship at the school. And it's, you know, basically he's, you know, not, up for her being getting tenure and she sees the paper she goes to confront him and she's basically just tells him hey you know like you our classes were paired because you had no students i'm i'm the reason you know the students are coming to me not like you know that they need you like it is me and he was offended she told him she was like basically you are on a list with other people she's trying to save your job and that's why she you know put the classes together mm -hmm. and then what he does he leaves he goes and has a secret meeting with the old folk and he's like we're on a list but he doesn't specifically say we are on a list and Ji Yoon was trying to save us from losing our job. He deletes all of that out. What were your initial thoughts on that particular moment when like this uprising, this coup was happening? It just speaks of privilege. Like how, you know, they it's all about me, me, me. Mm. And so let me let me go to the people that actually like are with me that I know that I can count on that has the same experiences as me or like looked like me anywhere in the world like you know like you you gravitate towards like the people that tend to align with your ideas right and especially if he knew that oh they're gonna take away you know my kinfolk in this in this like in this little english department we need to bend up so we can get rid of the problem mm -hmm. but they didn't know that you know that they're really not the problem maybe like how ginger was saying like you know it's 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 a money issue at some point but do you have it's like you have to save yourself so what do you do you turn on the people that are trying to essentially yeah, save essentially you but you don't want to and I, it goes back to them talking about we elected her in so did you elect her in because 
you thought she was the best person for the job or because you can manipulate her exactly and i feel like that's what was the problem yeah i think um they're feeling threatened and so like everything about this show is showing how organizations not just higher ed tries to put little band-aids on big problems Mm -hmm. and you need systemic solutions and there are these like quick fixes that they're trying to make so like what you're saying with the older faculty they're like oh we'll just get rid of jiyun and then everything will be fine it's not going to be fine the next chair joan is going to deal with the same problem with the dean saying okay we need to cut costs and it's the same thing with um uh bringing in david duchovny they're like oh well this will put butts in seats like really and like this flashy distraction is not going to change the amount of majors you have it, it's going to be like a flash in the pan kind of uh, moment. That's it. And that's what we do in organizations at large. Like, oh, okay, we have a diversity, equity, inclusion issue. Let's hire one professor of color or let's make our professor of color the chair. And then everyone will forget that we have like an inclusion problem and a retention problem. And that's not a solution. That's a quick fix mm-hmm. and not sustainable so yeah i think that there was a lot of of that um that theme throughout the show and i think even um sandra oh said it in his in her last kind of like speech moment to the dean where where she was like yeah you can fire bill all you want but would that Mm -hmm. suffice would that you know would the students look like like would the students be satisfied with that and she was like no they would still be looking at us like so what now? What's the next step? So yeah, file him for all I care, but are we really solving the problem here? And I think she, like in her speech, she nailed it like pretty, pretty well to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you hated that speech. No, I hated the last part when she said that she was impartial to Bill. Oh, again, because yeah, 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 like yeah. nobody knows. Yeah, like he no, and not everybody needs to know that you're majorly in love with this man. Just say your speech but she didn't say that she was in love with him she just said that she was impartial which she is i mean like that's that was her good friend like how do you good friend how do you judge somebody that is somebody that you that you work with you've worked with for a while i don't think she's in love with him though like i think it's like literally she doesn't see a lot of other adults (laughs) uh like it's there you know yeah can't be with the one you love love the one you're with yeah like I mean for real how many I've been in similar situations so many times especially in higher ed because it's like you really don't see anybody plus she's a woman that is smart it is hard to find a man that does not find that threatening and finds it sexy and so it's just like I don't think they were I don't think she was in love with him anyway I think it was like a convenience and um because you see she's very like ambivalent about all his like large gestures like let's move to what is it paris or somewhere and paris she's just like the city <laughs> yeah and then also, he finds out about the meeting and then he's upset and he's mad at her it's like yeah. you just you just said you couldn't live with life basically without her that you know she gotta be a part of the equation and now and also now her child you mad now you mad 
Mm. Come on, bro. Because he has to take responsibility for his actions and exactly. Uh, I I want to say I love the uh, grandfather though. Kalomoji was like, oh my gosh, he was so cute. I loved him. I love the ajumas in it. I love that there was Korean throughout. Um, that really spoke to me. I don't know. I got so emotional when um, the Day of the Dead. Uh, I don't know what they're called. Like the the ofrenda. ofrenda. Yeah, when the ofrenda was up there um, with uh, Jiyoon and her mom. Oh my God! Every time I I cried every time. Um, I, I I really liked that part of like showing Jiyoon's family side and like that Korean side of her life and how different it was from all the other stuff that she was dealing with at work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated that. And Halobuji was so cute. And he was like, I'm also a widower. And I was like, oh my God, please, one of you ladies flirt with him. <laughs> I, I, I was just having fun in that birthday party. <laughs> Until Bill messed it all up. Yeah. Right. But- but that was you do. You give the baby the dollar. Like, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up for the grandma. Don't mess it up for the mom. Because that's what we do. And I don't know. I, I found it really cute, too. Because, you know, any 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 little, like, TV show or, like, movie that shows, like, an Asian side of, like, whatever is happening in your American front, I appreciate it. Because it's, like, we all come from somewhere. And that's who ji is, like, at the core at least to me like her relationship with her dad it that's to me that speaks a lot of like you know like how she was raised or how she is as a person because you see like the lineage Mm. and like how all of like you know her dad refuses to talk in english to the to the little girl to juju and i don't know it's just kind of like you know, when my, my parents would come over, I would have to remind them, like, hey, there's other people in the house. You have to talk, like, in English. And they just keep talking in our own language. <laughs> I think, though, for him, you know, I kind of... Okay, so here's my stance on him and the relationship with that child. I don't think it really... I don't really think that he was, like, so in love with the grandchild specifically for the reason why he did not speak to her in English and then got surprised when he realized oh she knows what I what I'm saying and then he it felt like oh now I can love her because she understands what I'm saying but it never felt like he was speaking in Korean in order for her to pick it up I think he just was speaking because that's what he wanted to do um I don't know I always felt like she was a, a nuisance you know he was complaining of like when his daughter had to bring him bring her over there because she had stuff that she needed to do and he's like well, what happened to the babysitter and all he always felt in like he was being inconvenient so I really don't I was, know I was wondering if that was because like if because Juju was not Korean like I always thought of like probably like the because of the adoption process because like even the even the um how do you call it ginger the i guess the ajumas mm-hmm. yeah the ajumas were like um talking about you know why why she couldn't adopt like a korean baby oh we and, call them the frankenstein family yeah and i'm just and i'm just kind of like see even even this show talks about you know like the the minority class like people of color just 
trying to trying to like I don't know not really compete but like out like one up each other again and I just I just kind of felt a little sad in that moment but it's true it's it's I don't know man I thought the kid was an asshole uh, I wouldn't want to babysit her either. She ran away from grandpa a couple times. Like this was like her third time running away. I wouldn't want to fucking babysit that kid either. Um, I didn't think about it from that perspective, but you're probably right because um, I don't think it's uh, because she's Mexican. That's why I think it's because she's not Korean. Yeah. Because she's like not- I, I, if, if, if she was a white baby, I think they also would have been like, Oh, I wish she was Korean, yeah. but I mean, he still, he goes to Day of the Dead with her. He dresses up. He's into it. Like, I, I think that there's love there. It's just, like, he doesn't want to be the primary caretaker because ji has this job that supposedly you got a promotion. Shouldn't you have more power? You could do whatever you want, but apparently not because Bill's over here causing messes, making tornadoes. Bill is the true villain of the show. I like to always like, you know, look at anything that I'm watching and they're, you know, trying to present who the villain is, but it's always somebody else. Like in Romeo and Juliet, the villain was the messenger because he didn't get the message to where it needed to go. And so now you have two dead people on your hands because of that. So like with this, this show, it definitely is Bill. Like it, it just, he just was a problem for every, everybody. And it brought up it? a lot of stuff for, for everyone else and the issues that they were having to deal with. It just was just too much, too much. Oh. I think also there's like this toxic masculinity wrapped up in how he's not able to deal with his emotions. He oh, drinks, yeah. he takes pills, he Definitely. sleeps. Like, I mean, th- that's part of it. It's not just his whiteness, but also his like maleness. The two of those things are just such a combo yep mm-hmm. that's what like you know the more that the more that the story goes on the more white and white male he turns into like that form i want to see a season two i just want to see what happens i specifically want to see what happens with yes i if if she doesn't get tenured it then i'm not watching the rest of the season like she already got it though yale put her on a fast well, track you said Yale, but she didn't go to Yale. She stayed with them, right? At the no, end. No, I don't think so. Oh, see, now I got to go back and rewatch that because, I mean, I'm, I thought she stayed. I thought she stayed ginger because when they did the voting process, she was like, you know. She I was at the voting process, but the, the year is not over. You don't leave in the middle of the year for faculty and like you go by the academic calendar usually. So it's. She was going to go do the talk for Yale, but it was a job talk. So she hasn't been hired yet, but they're offering all these things. They invited her to apply. So they're probably going to give her the job offer. Oh, no. I felt like she was staying. I feel like because there was no uh, there was no her of her admitting that she was going to go or that she was going to stay. There was the discussion that it was being offered. And then they had that whole like. Well, I stayed because of you thing. I really Mm -hmm. feel like she stayed. And I probably will see that if they do a season two, that that she will still be there. Um, But I don't know. We'll we'll see. I just didn't want to see her have to deal with all of that and not be tenured. (laughs) Like it just (laughs) would, it would just suck. 
Um, I think she's a little idealistic, though, in her statement, Yaz, when she's like, what do they have without us? They just have, like, <laughs> everything. You know, she, she was like, what do they have without us? They don't have any students. But that's not you can't just do whatever you want. Like she was trying to get Jiyun to see that Jiyun had more power and she shouldn't be kind of um, serving the other folks. Uh, but in a chair position, uh, I don't know, you really don't have a whole bunch of power. You're kind of at the Dean's service. So for Yaz to be like, no, you have more power because we're uh, faculty of color and they need us. I'm like, mm. We all know that's not true. <laughs> it, it, it makes you a little more disposable, if anything, to my mind. So I don't know. Maybe she'll be there next season. I, if we do see a season two, which I hope, then I would like it to move just as fast and have some of that mystique that we had in this first season. I, I'm like unsatisfied with some of the pieces that we saw. Like I would like to see more of the family dynamic and watch and work it out more with um, her, her daughter. But I also kind of liked that it was like fast paced and left out some of those details. Because I think you can figure it out in your own imagination. I'm like, okay, something happened. And mm. you kind of just kind of like go with the flow because it, it makes up for a good, like a good series story that it is kind of fast paced. Mm. You didn't get bored. No, no, it definitely, I rewatched it. I started it yesterday and I finished the last two episodes this morning and it was um it was you you started and you're like oh it's over already like oh okay I can yeah it's like three hours sit through all of <laughs> yeah this. it's like it's like a Marvel movie mm-hmm. so if you have time for a Marvel movie you have time for the chair yeah you got mm-hmm. time to watch Zack Snyder's six hours epic movie then you can definitely watch this one so if you haven't seen it go watch it um Sandra Sandra, always told you everything yeah Yeah. Sandra (laughs) always brilliant as always yes as always we love everything she does um Mm. yeah so oh fun fact about this show fun fact (laughs) uh the setting of this of this show took place in a in a made-up place Pembroke University in Massachusetts but it actually was filmed in Washington and Pittsburgh and the part that we like the most what it's attached to us is the fact that it took place at Chatham University which is where um, Disha Filia who was uh, an amazing writer and author um, who will soon have her own television show on HBO um, that is where she taught and then we had Amber J. Phillips, who was on the show. And that is where she went to school. That's where she graduated from. Wow. And so she was really excited. She was like, oh, I remember going to this class or not this class, but to that office to talk to the president about why, you know, serving collard greens was not about Black History Month. There was something <laughs> like that. Um but uh, yeah, so it's it, it's nice to like see a, a a picture, a poster of the show, and you see Disha's book sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um, so kudos to whoever did the set design and then decided to put that book in there because uh, they're listening, they're watching, they know, they know good lit, mm-hmm. they know good lit. Uh, uh, yeah. So thank you 
for sitting in on this conversation. Were there was there anything else that you you wanted to talk about that maybe we missed in this conversation? Uh, I don't think so. There's just so much that's in there. I mean, the, I think the only thing that we didn't hit on was Joan trying to file like a Title IX and like uh, all the reflections she had on like being a woman in a super male like even though it was all white and that's another hour show it was right a whole nother thing but I love when she was like everybody can see your fanny <laughs> favorite lines too but yeah I, I, this was great thanks so much for having me on um and letting me uh vent as well as um you know gush about how much I like this show <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure having you come on and, and talk about whatever we throw at you and listening to us make fool of ourselves. Someone who comes in with stats. <laughs> she brings the data, y'all. Yes. She always just, brings the data. <laughs> I just read off of a few websites. And <laughs> but yeah. That's more than what we pull from that's, Wikipedia. Yeah, that's more than my feelings. So I guess, you know, every everything that you say counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So um, goodbye, everybody. Take care. Be safe. Um, go watch the chair and anything else that makes you feel warm and gushy inside. Yes. Good night. Good morning. See you soon. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.